see Fred. Have you heard the latest one about the Jew, the Catholic, and the colored boy who went to heaven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a doozy, Judge. Colored boy. Why, you son of a bitch, I'll fix you, you Colored boy. One day removed from the final Godfather, a year in change in the making. What are the repercussions? What are the reviews? And will there be an emotional letdown for your host? And speaking of hosts, where in the world is Donnie Most? No one cares. I was just looking for something to rhyme with host. And this show is so inside, Donnie Most came to mind. And speaking of inside, let's get it started. An all-new podcast starts now. Just start right off the bat and apologize for last week's podcast. Yeah, that's right. I'm just going right there. Last week's podcast was the worst podcast I've ever heard in my life. I know most of the people that I speak to on a daily basis that like the podcast and listen to it weekly had trouble getting through it. I had trouble getting through it myself. As you know, I listen back to each and every podcast every week, and I listen in spurts, like little 20-minute spurts or whatever, So I, and then I finish it. But this one took me a while, like... When I was walking home from things where I would normally listen, I'm like, eh, maybe I'll listen to something else. I mean, that's how bad it was. And, uh, you know, I, I, those girls were not, it, 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 it was a little painful. They're, they're, um, they're very nice girls. They're very nice girls. I don't think anybody would, would be in agreement, but they're, they're a little annoying. Uh, you know, they, they don't seem to care about uh, doing a, a quality show. They don't really have that much to say. They were looking at their phones. You know, it's a very nice girls, very nice girls. But the, the podcast, I, it didn't work. And I apologize because, uh, you know, I want to give you a quality podcast every week and at least try my best. But I guess we tried something and it just, you know, sometimes uh, these things happen. So, I mean, the thing is, uh, these girls, you know, what really kind of... Uh, got my goat in a way is when I asked them, you know, when I was thinking about it, when I asked them how they get into comedy or what led them into basically stand-up comedy, their answers were were horrible. And if you're going to be a stand-up comic, and that girl, Shauna, you know, believes she is a stand-up comic, and uh, I don't know what Ankara does. But, I mean, I've seen her do stand-up, and she's not bad at it. Um but, you know, I, I just I wonder how girls in general get into stand up. I was thinking about that today after we asked them that question. And when I was thinking about somebody like Sarah, which we talked about on the show, it's so obvious how she got into. I mean, we know she likes Steve Martin. She likes stand up comedy. She knows what we boys know. I'm not being sexist. I'm just saying I know how boys want to get into stand up comedy. But remember, there were no girl role models. I mean, it's interesting that I'm friends with this girl, Sarah Silverman, who is now a role model for girls that want to be stand-up comics. 
it's quite fascinating. When Sarah started, there was only Joan Rivers. Uh, well, that was it. That's That was it, right? I can't Phyllis Diller. That was way before all of our time. So there was only Joan Rivers to go by and say, I want to do that. So, so you basically... You, you basically follow men because, you know, that was it. She's, you know, she's like, I like this guy, Steve Martin. I like Don Rickles. I like uh, these guys that are doing stand-up. I like guys because that's all there is. It's fascinating now. Now you have, uh, and thanks to Sarah, now you have Chelsea Handley. You have Amy Schumer. You got a lot of girls in comedy. And that's all thanks to Sarah Silverman. I mean, I know she's my pal, but I mean, it is. It's, it's fascinating. If you think about it, especially for pretty girls, there were none of those. And she kind of broke the mold in a way. It's fascinating, I think. But, yeah, I mean, how do they not have any influence? She's like, yeah, I started working at a comedy club and I just was like, yeah, I should do this. I don't know. It bothers me when, you know, since we talk on the podcast all the time about at least my influence. But it's not just me. I mean, you know, me and Atel and um, Artie. And the boys, you know, when we would go out for dinner after in the 80s or 90s, we would talk about our influences. That was the conversation we would have. We would talk about Woody Allen or we would talk about not Bill Cosby. I don't think was ever a topic, but, you know, just um, certainly Richard Pryor, whether you like him or hate him, you know, you'd have a discussion. Nobody hated him, but I'm just like he was never for me. Certainly, I can see how he would be, you know, for black comics. He was like the Sarah Silverman, you know, like, I mean, he was a a true uh, pioneer. But, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know how you don't, like, you know, I mean, you guys know I, SCTV is my cornerstone to what shaped me into wanting to be a comic. I loved Letterman. I loved the Letterman show. I mean, it was all these influences. I loved the Dick Van Dyke show. You guys all know this because we talk about it on a weekly basis. Um, it's like, I don't, I, I know those girls, the Gone Girls said that's their podcast. They just, they talk about what they just received on their cell phones and and their the, the mess of their selves is the podcast. And I get that. That's fine. That's what they like to do. Uh, but, you know, for us, you know, we, we take it very serious. We have topics of conversation and we want to get serious and we want to just have, I don't know, we, we, we just want to talk about comedy. We want to get in depth. We want to get into what shapes people and things and topics. And um, those girls were giving us nothing. And because I was fascinated. I'm like, why, why are these random girls, this girl who grew up in Dubai, and, you know, I mean, what, why did she get in a stand-up comedy? How does that happen? Uh, but they had no answers. I guess they've actually probably never been on anybody else's podcast before or something and never been interviewed. It's just odd. I mean, me and Atel, we when we first were starting out, we would always talk about SCTV, obviously SNL. She mentioned SNL, but that's an easy one. But that's not stand-up comedy. And neither is SCTV, but I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. But being a stand-up comic, I was influenced by David Brenner and Robert Klein and Richard Pryor in a sense of just being a lone person on stage with a microphone. Uh, it, you know, being funny. And again, for me, like I said, I never wanted to be a stand-up comic, but I wanted to be in comedy. Anyway, there's so much to talk about today. Let's get off that topic. 
Um, I am doing the podcast in the bedroom because it's a beautiful sunny day out. It's uh, becoming twilight. So we uh, picture perfect. I'm by myself today, which I couldn't wait to be. And I just completed The Godfather yesterday. Thank you very much. Uh, and I'm I'm hungover. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not. I don't have my wits about me. I am hungover. I'm having some coffee. And uh, I got home about five o'clock. Or I went to bed about five o'clock in the morning. Woke up at eight. And uh, went to work. And today was just a lost day. Um, I, I did nothing. Which I actually got in trouble for today because I was just so out of it. But I'm like, you know, anybody that gives me trouble, they know what I'm doing. I'm like, you can't give me a break today. You know, I had a long night yesterday. I spent a lot of time working on it. That's the story. Anyway, the point is, I think it went very well. Now, when it finished, I was a little uptight. And I don't know why. It's possible something else was bothering. It was possibly, everybody said it looked like it was crowded, but I don't think it was sold out. And I think that bothered me and it waited on me. And I felt like we weren't getting the last, but everybody else said it was the best one we've ever done. Um, even Noam, the owner, said the performances were the best they've ever been. And maybe, you know, I think Natterman finally got the hang of it. He was flowing with the dialogue. I was very, <clears throat> what am I, Peter Brady? Uh I was very proud of him. He did a good job, but uh, we'll go over everybody um, in the thing. I got a call from my friend, David Elliott, who we do this podcast down the beach. He was listening to the Jim Norton show today, which I have not heard yet. And apparently Jim was saying lovely things about the show, which, of course, makes me so happy because, you know, I, I, I can't tell whether he was having a good time or not. And then I see photos today. I'm like, it looks like he was having a blast. And that's really what's important to me that everybody's having a good time. They enjoy the show and people are like, geez, I'd like to be in your show. It's the most flattering thing there is. And again, we had the people that know the show, that know the movie, that loved the show. And it was half and half. There were people that don't know it and they loved it. So I think I did a good job. I think I did a good job writing. I think I did an outstanding Abe Vagoda. <laughs> Mike, can you take the handcuffs off? All I'm asking is to take the handcuffs off. Uh, I think I did a really good Mo Green, and uh, my Brando I think was on point for most of it. And uh, I got to say something that my mother came, and as you know, she she never shows up. She's not even invited usually, and apparently she loved it. Like she came up after me and said, "Boy, you're so talented." She's never said that to me in fifty years. Because I've been acting since I was three, two, whatever I am. But yeah, she she said she loved it. And I was talking to my sister. She goes, wow, mom was really laughing. I'm like, she was? I mean, I've told you that story. She's never found me funny. I don't know what it was about this that she liked, but it's a miracle. And then my sister goes, yeah, she must only like one kid at a time. And this must have been your day because she called me stupid yesterday. <laughs> oh, Rhoda, you're hilarious. But when I'm saying this, I'm reminded and I do not have the clip and I need it and I will get it. But uh, I'm just going to play this anyway because I just feel like playing clips today that make us all happy. Uh, this is a new one we've never played before from the Goodbye Girl with uh, Paul Benedict, which is the clip I want to get later. But uh, let's just uh, he's 
explaining how to he's directing Richard Dreyfus in a production of Richard the Third, which Richard Dreyfus has just come to New York for to star in, and he's very excited in his first like off Broadway play. And Paul Benedict is saying we should play Richard the uh, Third gay. The question is, and this may seem perfunctory, was perfunctory. Richard actually deformed? Historically, we know he was born with severe curvature of the spine, thus giving the impression that he was hunchbacked. There was some paralysis of the left hand and the right foot. Olivier chose to play the right hand and the left foot. God knows why. As well as nerve damage to the right cheek and the eyelids. I mean, the man was your basic gimp. Let's face it. <laughs> All of which brings us, bless the wise and rich Mrs. Estelle Morganweiss, to this production. Is that the way we want to play Richard? If you do, then this director would just as soon do a six-week stint on the Sunny and Cher show. <laughs> now, Richard III was a flaming homosexual. So was Shakespeare, for that matter. But that angry mob at the Globe Theatre wasn't going to plunk down two shillings to see a bunch of pansies jumping about on the stage. It was society that crippled Richard, not childbirth. And they could see Richard Dreyfus I mean, getting all like, uh, what? He sent those two cute little boys up to the tower and nobody ever saw them again. Oh, we know why, don't we? See, what I want to do here is to strip Richard bare, metaphorically. Let's get rid of the hump. Let's get rid of the twisted extremities and show him the way he would be today. The queen who wanted to be king. Yes. Question. Are you serious? Now, what's the objection, Elliot? Well, number one, I have to play it. Number two, I like the hump and the club foot. Uh, number three, I've been working on the part for three months. Well, I respect that. I mean, that's why we're here, isn't it? To exchange ideas. Tell me, how do you see Richard? Mr. Macho, is that it? No, uh, look. I don't think the guy is a, a linebacker for the Chicago Bears, but uh, let's not throw away one of his prime motivations. Oh, and what's that? He wants to hump Lady Anne. Yes, I've heard that before. Look, I don't want to press you. Let's just try it my way. Let's read through the first act. Please. Trust me. Trust me. Act one. Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, sorry. Uh, just how far off the diving board do you want me to jump? Well, don't give me Bette Midler, but uh, let's not be afraid to be bold. 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 Act one, scene one. Enter Richard, Duke of Gloucester. Now is the winter of our discontent made... Sorry, sorry. Excuse me. One second. Now is the winter... Now is the winter of our discontent. May I have a five-minute break, please? Five minutes. Five-minute break, everybody. Uh, I, uh, that movie is, uh, I guess it's a guilty pleasure. My sister and I worship the movie. And um, I, he's so good in it. He won, a, a, he won an Oscar for that. And 
he was really good in it. But everybody always says he doesn't know whether he was deserving of the Oscar because there was so... I mean, uh, he beat out Star Wars. <laughs> beat out Woody Allen and Annie Hall, John Travolta. We've had this conversation a hundred times. Uh, but it's, it's just kind of funny. He beat out Han Solo. Um, but the reason why I played it is just because I was enjoying it and I hadn't seen it in a while. That Paul Benedict is so good. That's um, Mr. Bentley from The Jeffersons. And he's so good as this maniacal director who's going to ruin Richard Dreyfuss' career. And the play is horrible. If you've ever seen the play, it turned out horrible. And Richard Dreyfuss is going like, well, hello. And he's really flaming. And it closes after opening night. But the night that they have it, you know, they have like a party backstage, but it's horrible. And Paul Benedict is there. And he goes, but what did you really think? And this woman is there. And she's like, well, he goes, no, what did you really think? And she goes, well, it was good. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Everyone, everyone, my mother loved it. Like, we didn't know it was his mother, and that was the gag. My mother loved And so I've been doing that line for years. So, so there it is. I wanted to call everybody. Everyone, my mother loved it. She loved the Godfather. Uh... So that's why I was thinking of that clip. I got to get that exact clip so we can uh, be serious with each other here. This is not the actual clip I wanted. But uh, I just enjoy today. I said, I just want to play a bunch of clips because I'm so upset about last week that like we, you know, uh, like when we played Manhattan, I I don't think they were understanding. You know, they've never seen it. Should we be upset by that? We can't be upset. Well, first of all, Shauna should, she's, I think, and she might be 40, I don't know, but you can't be upset if somebody in their 30s hasn't seen a classic Woody Allen. I don't know what the cutoff is if you're in comedy to have not seen a classic movie, but certainly Annie Hall was a huge influence for me. Like, all the comics we know, Louis, Attell, all the, you know, Artie, Artie for sure, Artie knows all the Woody Allen stuff. We talk about Hannah and her sisters all the time. He knows all the lines we mentioned. Played against Sam on the Comedy the Comedy Cellar podcast. I mean, you know, Woody Allen was a comic, is a comic genius, and that was an influence. I just don't understand. I, I don't know what people's comic influences are today. I and that's that was my question. All right, we got to move on. Uh, so here's the best part too, and I, I I can't get a clip of this either. It's tough. Lenny Marcus bought a friend named Peter. And he he got the smallest of references that no human being should know except me and, you know, a couple of us that listen to this podcast. And I can't even believe it. It's the scene where Michael is going to Carlo and saying, like, now, who approached you first? Was it, Al, you know, Bozzini or was it Tatalia? And he goes, Al, get him a drink. And then Carlo in our script goes, oh, I could totally use a drink. Thank you. I'll have a Brandy Alexander. And that was the gag. So you hear one lone laugher, and it's this guy because he knows that that line, get ready for it, is from the pilot episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. How nerdy am I? How nerdy is this guy, too? I mean, I'm telling you, we get all of us in a room together and we do a show like this. It's like we, we all of us need to get together. 
that listen to this podcast, and, you, and we'll all know all the references. I mean, it'll be amazing, right? We'll have the best time together. <laughs> we got to get this guy. We got to get all the people that listen. You know, and just I I love this. I get oh, that's from that that's from the Wonder Woman episode that he talked. You know, something like that. I mean, how can he get this? It's from the pilot episode. Mary goes for an interview with Lou Grant for the first time, and he says, uh, "You want a drink?" You know, he's got his scotch bottle in the drawer, as you know. I think it's scotch, or is it whiskey? I think it's scotch. And uh, she goes, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Goes, you want to call a cop? She's like, uh, okay, um, I'll be Brandy Alexander. <laughs> you know, and that's the line. And the fact that this guy knew it, it's unbelievable. How happy was I or how sad am I that I tried to slip it in there as my own? But I didn't. I mean, I know it's clearly from Mary Tyler Moore, and I was thrilled that somebody got it. All the stuff is from something else. I mean, I must have, I think I did the entire movie of History of the World Part 1 in The Godfather this week. We will be airing The Godfather that we performed last night next week on the podcast. We'll air The Godfather next week, then we'll take a break from Memorial Day weekend, and then we'll come back June 1st all the way to the summer until we take our Labor Day break. Uh... So, yeah, also comedian David Feldman came, who was one of my idols uh, starting out in comedy. There you go. David Feldman, who was great. Uh, he came. He writes for the Jack and Triumph show, which we love. Uh, he writes for a bunch of stuff. He's the guy who Jeff Ross calls when we do the roasts and make sure that everything and, and gets help from David Feldman. That's what a good writer he is. But he's really good into politics. I used to like him. He was completely different from anything I ever wanted to do. He, he was a forward thinker, and, and, and he just knows stuff. So I have this scene where he's, you know, Michael's trying to get uh, Kay back, and he goes, I'll do anything you ask. I'll do whatever you want. Just please, Kay. You know, and she's like, anything? And then we do the sitcom swipe, and then they're making a prank call to the Godfather, and they're like, hello? Yes, this is... Uh, her, uh, J. Edgar Hoover from the FBI calling, and he's like, what? what? And whatever, he's like, I'm attracted to you. And he's like, well, I don't go that way. And then uh, whatever the case may be, it goes whatever. And, um, and then I say, say a, say a little Clyde Tolson for me. And only David Feldman, you can hear him. <laughs> because Clyde Tolson was rumored to be J. Edgar Hoover's lover. And only David Feldman <laughs> knew that. And uh, I was so grateful that he came because that was a tough one. I wasn't sure if anybody was going to get a little Clyde Tolson for me. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it's the hidden gems that you do for people. I mean, this is why I'll never get anywhere. But because I like to write stuff for the one or two people who are going to like it and not for the masses. But if you can do both, Write for the masses and write a couple of one or two that only certain people get. Well, I, I think you win, don't you? So he was really good. I also, what I did, and you won't be able to see it, um, but I put the, to the, the killing of the heads of the five families, I went to a videotape and I had Sarah, Jeff Ross, me and Artie and a puppet from Sesame Street say how they get killed. So Sarah says, 
Oh, wait, I might have the video. Hold on a second. I might have the audio. Uh, hold on a second. I think I can actually play it for you, even though you'll hear it next week. Uh, let's do it anyway. I th yeah. Yeah, here we go. Let's just play it. Yeah, it says the year of the Godfather, the death of five families. That's like the kind, you know, the thing that it says. And then we go through each one. So the first one is Don Barzini, and it's Jeff. Hey, everybody. I'm Don Barzini, and I'm going to get shot in the back by Al Neary and fall down the courthouse stairs. What an asshole that guy is. So that's his, and then uh, he just, you know, everybody just filmed it on their phone, so it's really poor quality, but I think everybody loved it. it you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to come out, but people thought it was uh, good. So here's Victor Stracci. Victor Stracci, I'm having a real laugh riot in the elevator when Clemenza comes in and shoots me in the nutsack. Ouch. And this is Mo Green. This is me. Hi, everybody. I'm Mo Green. I get shot in the eye. I never asked who gave the order, but because I'm dead. But that's what happened. <laughs> and cut. And then I look around. I'm like looking around. You'll never be able to see it in the show when I air it. But I'm like looking around. You know, I'm pretending. I'm doing the SCTV gag where they would always the camera would be on. They're like, and yeah. So are we done? You know, like I'm doing the gag. I can't help myself. Cut. I'm obsessed with the show. How do you turn this off? I'm pretending I don't know how to turn it off, and then I turn it off. Okay. Next is the, ah. the puppet from Sesame Street. Just a random puppet. Hello there. I'm Philip Tartaglia. I get shut up in a bed with a hooker. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Huh? And this next one is Don Cuneo, and it's Artie. He did a great job. Hey, this is Don Cuneo, and I got shot in a revolving door by Willie Chi-Chi. He should have bumped the, uh, the, the revolving door glass, because the family has a lot of buffers. You got it? All right, I'm done with that. Listen, just Gal, I got, a, I got an idea for you. You should combine your episode of Crashing with The Godfather. This would work. You ready? Here's how it will go. Pretend Don Cuneo is about to tell you he got a job doing warm-up for the Rachel Ray Show. Here we go. Hi, I'm Don Cuneo. I don't know. I'm going to take the deal with Corleone. I got to go over there. There's a revolving door. I'm like, I got it! I got it! I got it! Jump Scout, take your shirt off! Take your shirt off! The devils are on the phone. They want the deal! Russ Maneev's name's been besmirched. He's on an apology, Senator! And scene. <laughs> so that's how we killed off the five families. And uh, everybody was kind enough to uh, just shoot a little something on their cell phones. And I couldn't appreciate it more. Uh, when I first saw the quality of it all, it was horrible, but we made fun of it in the thing. And I think everybody really liked it. So that was kind of great. Um, uh, my uh, intro, which you'll hear tomorrow, my stand-up, was I was just talking about Greece. I was previewing Greece uh, for September 12th. And you know, I've had this bit I've been doing for years. And I thought it was funny. Everyone I talked to said, oh, that was really funny. Like, the, you know, the girls. And, but I, I, I was not getting the love from the audience, and I'm not sure why, because it's a classic story that I've been telling for years, and it's something that happened on Make Me Laugh, and uh, you'll hear it next week. Maybe we'll talk more about it later. But, um, but then Jessica Kirsten went on, and she just destroyed. I mean, she killed it. It was great. She lit up the crowd, which was perfect to follow her after. She did what I could not do. 
and she was really good. I've never seen her actually perform before. She was really funny, and I think the crowd liked her. And you take a risk when you bring in, you're doing The Godfather. You take a risk. You're bringing a, a lesbian, uh, you know, mother, of, you know, married to another girl, got a kid. You take a risk um, putting somebody on stage like that when you're about to do a reading of The Godfather. But she she really did a good job. I, I, I was looking around at the guys to make sure they were laughing because I remember when we were doing the football show, we had Lisa Traeger on, and I really, really like Lisa a lot. But uh, the guys were having none of it, and they were really angry. And again, you know, you're doing a football show, and then you have this woman talking about how I guess pretty much she hates men. But Jessica doesn't do that, so I don't think she alienates the audience. Um, but she did a great job, and she's really nice when we become friends. Now... Mateo Lane was good as always, and he's just a pleasure to work with. But he he's never seen History of the World Part 1, so he didn't understand. Uh, we have the scene in which this. Before this night is over, one of you shall betray me three times. No. Master, how can you feel that anyone here would betray you? You who we would follow even unto our death. Yes. Does everybody want soup? <laughs> Please, we must talk. This may be our last supper. This sounds so it's good. It's my first order. Oh, look, one little question. I'll let you all go. Are you all together or is it separate checks? Please, go away. Go away. I don't care. It's so funny when you hear this again. Uh, you know, History of the World Part 1, I think we're all in agreement. It's not one of Mel's best works, but there are some gems, you know, in History of the World Part One that are just ridiculously awesome. Yeah, yeah, so you say. But one who sits amongst us has already betrayed me this night. Who? 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 Who can it be? Judas! Mm. Do you want a beverage? Try the mulled wine. It's terrific. No! Leave us alone! Go! 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 You're right. Jesus. Yes. What? 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 Yes. Jesus. What? Yes. What? You, well, you said what? What? Nothing. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. Uh, everybody, you know, we all know that scene. So what I did was um, we have the waiter come in. He's like, does everybody want soup? Nobody knows what's happening. And then uh, I go, one of you will betray me tonight. And then it's like, you know, and then he just goes, Barzini, what? Do you want a beverage? And that's the way you're supposed to say it. It's so easy. Barzini, do you want a beverage? Um, but he, he didn't know how to do it because he's never seen the movie. I, I can't blame him. I, you know, it's a, you know um, again, we're talking about he's a comic, but he's gay. So I can understand maybe not seeing the movie because he talks about being gay. He's not, you know, he doesn't do the standard comedy stuff. Uh, and he's he's only in his 20s, so I get that. But again, we're talking about, you know, what does shape a kid that wants to be a comic? And you would think these kind of movies, even though this came out, you know, way before he was born, or not way before, but a little before, um, you'd think you'd go back and kind of check him out. And it's possible that, you know, the way where he was born, it's like, you know, like, Waiting for Guffman is, is great, and then all of Christopher Guest's movies go downhill. Um, but if you were to see Best in Show before you saw Waiting for Guffman, you might think that was much better than it actually is 
be, because you hadn't seen Waiting for Guffman, which is really good. And maybe if you'd seen Mighty Wind before you saw that, you know, it, it's like that. But if you're seeing them backwards or in out of order, then you might think one is better. So if he, so if, if uh, Matteo had seen History of the World Part One when he's a kid, I mean, with all those jokes and jokey jokes, he might, I mean, as a kid, I would think if I saw that first before I saw High Anxiety or anything else, I would have thought that was probably the funniest thing I'd ever think. Now, by the time History of the World came out, I was in high school and I was already, I'm like, well, this isn't, you know, this is all jokey. It's like airplane. Um, you know, it's not, it's not all put together like High Anxiety, you know, or, or Blazing Saddles, obviously, or Young Frankenstein. It's all over the place. But if I was younger and I just saw it for the first time, like if I was nine, I would have to think that History of the World Part One was probably the funniest movie I had ever seen because it's perfect. It's just made for children. You know, technically, it's all duty jokes and stuff like that. You look like the piss boy and you look like a bucket of shit. I mean, so I don't know how he hasn't seen it, but he had no idea how to say that line, you know, and it's like frustrating, but I, I can't blame him. It's not his fault that he, that he hasn't done all the research. He's obviously seen the Godfather, but wait, you need to look, if you want to do this for $20 <laughs> and, and, and be around for six hours and six hours of your time for $20, then you need to see, all right, this is what I'm saying. If you want to be in my show, you need to obviously have sat through the Godfather at least 20 times you, and probably more. I'm just doing that. If you want to be in the show, you have to sit down and watch it 20 times. You'll also have had to see Godfather 2 at least 20 times. You'll need to see History of the World Part 1 five times. You'll need to see the Mary Tyler Moore Show all seven seasons. This is what you need to understand. You'll have not need to see, well, and here's the best part. Uh, William Stevenson we played the clip up front, colored boy from Caddyshack. William Stevenson, our black friend, who's in our show all the time now, ha has never seen Caddyshack. Now, he's around my age. He's older than me. And I don't know why he hasn't seen Caddyshack. I guess that is a white boy's thing. It's the only reason I could think. I mean, I thought every comedian had seen Caddyshack. So he had no idea what we were doing. And the way I was putting it in was Barzini goes, I don't want to start their schools. I don't want to talk to kids. We'll keep it in the the section, you know, the uh, the colored section, the, the doggies, the, the animals anyway. Let them lose their souls, right? So you got to address that this guy just, you know, said something like that. And so then I have Porterhouse from Caddyshack come on like, colored boy, why you little? And we do that scene, but of course you can't see that he's doing it. So I go, I'm going to give him so much wax buildup on his golf shoes. He ain't going to. And then he says, so then he says, hey, Vito, 50 bucks says the smells kid picks his nose. And he could not pronounce the word smells. You'll you'll hear it. You'll hear it. He had no idea who smells was. I never would. Now, again, if you were 22 and a girl, <laughs> maybe I could see where you wouldn't know it. But if you're a comedian and a man of at least 30, that was shocking, shocking. But it was really funny because I said on stage, he's never seen Caddyshack. He's never seen it. But he was hilarious anyway. It's so funny when he messes up. That's why we always make fun of him being high. But he's a really nice guy, and I've known him for so long. 
But it was really weird to not have seen Caddyshack and know what that scene was. Colored boy. Why? I'll give him colored boy. But uh, so then um, uh, let, let, I'll go on with the. Uh, so uh, Rachel uh, did. Uh, I love Rachel. She looked amazing. She did a good job, but she was improvising too much and ruining a lot of the jokes. And it was a little frustrating. I know she was trying to work with it because she's not an actress in the sense. It was very difficult for her to play somebody like Connie, but I, th I thought she did a good job. But um, the improvisation was a little much because it was ruining some of the punchlines. So that was a little much. But, you know, the thing is, I love working with her. I love having her around. She's like really one of my best friends and it's like, that's the thing. All the people I'm going to mention, it's, I got to tell you, you know, the reason why I was never able to get in the stand-up is because I need to be comfortable on stage. I need to be at a place where I feel comfortable. I need to know the staff. I need to know the owner. I need to know the other comics. That's where I shine in the sense where I feel comfortable. And when I'm in that place, I mean, the, all my friends are to the right of me. They're all sitting in those couches and you know I, we've been friends for so many years and it just really makes me happy and so when I know Rachel's there who I am very very close with it, it really is terrific and that's why I don't know I'll always put her in stuff and she's always just she's she always looks good and that's really the important thing too so Natterman did a great job but this guy cannot do a spit take to save his life it was so weird we left a bottle of water for him he opens up the water. He spills it all over the floor. I was like, what's the matter? You never open a bottle of water? You fucking, what are you, afraid out? You know, it was like so weird. And then he, you know, the line is, and at that meeting he'll be assassinated, which is the cornerstone to which I came up with this entire idea. The cornerstone, the entire thing, relies on the spit take from, and at that meeting you'll be assassinated. <laughs> what? And he could not execute the spit take. We had to do it again so he could do the proper spit take. And then he spit it in some guy, at, at some guy in the front row. And I felt horrible. Don't spit it into the audience, dummy. He, he has no idea how to do a spit take. That's another thing. How do you become a stand-up comic in your 40s and not know how to do a proper spit take? Every comedian knows that's the first thing you learn in comedy. It's the spit take. It's been going on for centuries. The spit take. This kid really is retarded. And we didn't really talk about the comedy cell thing that happened at the comedy cellar last week with Dan and Paul Mercurio and me and Artie. I don't think I told you guys. Oh my! I mean, you, you probably heard the podcast, right? If you've heard it, the uh, serious radio show. It's so legendary. So Dan likes. It's Dan and Noam's show. And Dan likes booked guests and nobody there. Now, that is stupid in the sense I'm like, then w the point of the Comedy Cellar radio show is that you never know who's going to drop by. That's why you have it at the comics table. Because that's the gag. But he gets really angry if people stop by. And Noam likes it the other way. So it's there's room for tension. So I go, they call me and they say, Artie's here. Can you come down and be with us? And I was in between Tom Papa's show. I said, sure. 
And I went in. Paul Mercuria was there. And so when Artie came in, Dan said, you're going to have to leave when Artie comes. And I don't know. Paul gets really angry. So anyway, to make a long story short, Paul got really angry because Natterman tried to kick him off. But I kept sharing the mic with Paul. And then Dan turns the mic towards me in a hostile move. And Paul goes, fuck you, Natterman. You're a fucking asshole. I was thought for sure he was going to, you know, Dirty Jew was coming out, but it didn't. Uh, and Paul just went crazy. You probably heard already, went crazy, and it was really exciting. I mean, it would have been more exciting if it was two other people, but it still spread around, you know, the comedy world. But unfortunately, it was just Paul McCurry and Dan Adam. You know, it would have been exciting if it was Artie and Kevin Brandon or something like that, you know. I was just so happy to be a part of it. So anyway, that all happens. And then Artie goes off for a half hour on... Uh, how Mercurio doesn't have a microphone. He's doing, you've probably heard it, but he's doing Chris Rock imitation, bringing him up. Now, I'll bring out this next guy. He don't have a microphone. Like I, and I'm laughing like a hyena. You know Artie makes me laugh so hard. I'm laughing like a hyena, like I've never laughed on the Comedy Cellar show before. And I'm when I finished, I'm like, geez, I, I wonder if I overdid it. I wonder if I was really laughing or if I was just doing it. I don't know. Maybe I was laughing it up a little more than usual because we were at the cell. I, I don't know. I, I got a little nervous because, I, you know, I laugh like a hyena when Artie's around. He just really does make me laugh that hard. So, But then I thought maybe I was doing a put-on. So I opened for a tell at the Stress Factory two Saturdays ago. And on the way home, I was listening to the Sirius XM show. And I was in my car laughing just as hard with this in my mind but I just I found myself laughing just as hard when Artie was saying those things again and then I realized oh my god it was true laughter it was definitely true laughter that guy just knows me he knows what makes me laugh he's so funny I don't know if he's on heroin or whatever but he's funnier on drugs than most of the fucking people are when they're not on drugs uh, whether he's on or off drugs, he just where he comes up with the shit that because he likes what we like, which is those subtle things, whether he pulls out like some 70s ball player's name uh, or a Woody Allen line or something. I mean, he just he just makes it work and he just makes me laugh. And it was so funny. He just ripped apart Paul Mercurio for a good half hour. If you heard it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was just so awesome. And then uh, the funny thing is that I saw Paul McCure on Friday. I went to go drop off the scripts at the cellar and a bunch of people. I went to go deliver to everybody's houses or whatever because um, Saturday I went to Wolfgang's Steakhouse and I had the ALS walk, so I was busy. I mean, I still could have done it, but it was just easy. I could drop him off the cellar, and Mercuria was there, and he saw me dropping her off, and he's not in this episode. Now, he was in the last episode, but he started to get crazy. He called me over he's like dave why why i didn't know you're doing another, why am i not in this one i'm like there were no parts for you he's like you can't he he's a little scary because now that we've seen what he how he can flip it's a little much now i've always liked paul but he has a reputation for being a little nutty as we now have seen it live on this podcast but the point is now so then I got a text from him the next day saying, hey, what the fuck? You know, he's like, what am I going to be in next? Like, he, you know, I mean, I know he wants to be in the show. He's not being rude. He just 
is pushy, and that's how he gets spots. That's everybody knows. That's how he gets spots. He's pushy, 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 and it works or it doesn't work. I mean, that he got Paul McCartney somehow on his podcast. So I don't know. He's just pushy. Um, but I can't have him on anymore. I have to be Team Natterman. Natterman is my boy in these things. I can't have the Natterman doesn't want to see him anymore. So I can't use Paul again. And I'm nervous about telling him this. He's like, I know you're doing another show. Why can't I be on it? And I'm going to have to say to him, you can't be on it because Natterman is the star and I got to keep my star happy. And he doesn't want to see you. Now, was Natterman wrong in what he did? Yes, he was wrong. But I pointed out on the show, Natterman is what we used to call a retard. He's, he's definitely autistic of some sort. He's just old... So nobody diagnosed it. He's on the spectrum of some sort. There's something wrong with him, you know, like he's autistic of some sort or Asperger's, you know. I mean, he's great and everything, but there's something off. So I kept calling him a retard, right? Because that's what we used to call it. But the, the, I said, you, you know, they were asking, whose side do you take? I'm like, well, I think we have to take Dan's side because we know how Dan is. He... This is the way he is. He likes the show the way it is. He did it to Lenny when Lenny was on. He's like, Lenny Marcus is not supposed to be on this show. So it was nothing personal against Paul. This is the way Dan runs the show. And we should all be respectful in the sense that he's retarded and he doesn't understand how to, you know, not be this one way. But he was rude. He was completely wrong in the way he handled it. And you just got to go with the flow sometimes. And he, what he did was wrong. But Paul was also completely out of line. You, you, you know, why would you do something like that in front of the owner of the club? Are you out of your mind? And then remember, he walked away and then he forgot. He left his stuff and he goes, he was like, fuck you, Dan. You're a fucking asshole. I'm going to fuck you up. And then he leaves. Goodbye. And then he comes back. Artie, uh, I left my stuff in the back. Can you just get it from me? It takes a lot. It was like so embarrassing. But, um. No one was like, Paul, calm down, calm down. Why would you want to do that in front of the owner? If you're like a 50-year-old man and you're lucky enough to be performing at the comedy club, why mess it up like that? Why take any risk in front of the owner to do something like that? I was surprised he was actually back at the club on Friday. I don't think they book him and Dan together again anymore. Dan can't handle it. And he hasn't apologized because he doesn't feel he should. Paul doesn't feel he should. But, you know, somebody should apologize because... Because it's easier. But I can't... I know Paul doesn't listen to my podcast, but I'm just saying... If he did, I, I'm just saying... I, I'm, I, I can't use him. I can't use him anymore. Because I got it. Dan's first. He's my number one guy. He's the star of all the shows. I don't know what's going to happen with Grease. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. I like using Natterman everything. He was my Scrooge. Natterman is a funny leading... You put Natterman in anything... Instead of Love Actually, somebody said, why don't you do Die Hard? That's a good Christmas movie. I can't deny. I would like to say, now I have a machine gun too. How, how, how. It's either that or to continue your emotional education. What do you think? But anyway, uh... Uh, that's that story. Uh, Natterman, the comedy seller, important. I had something I was going to, there was a reason I was telling about the comedy seller podcast, Mercurio, Natterman. Oh, just Natterman. I don't know. He couldn't do a spit take right. Um, 
But he did a much better job in the show this time, Natterman. He seemed to get the flow. He still can't... Uh, I don't know how many times we went over. Um, listen, when she says, Michael, is it true? Michael, is it true? And and uh, Rachel, again, she couldn't get the... Mm, it was crazy. But I said, Dan, take a long pause. Take a long pause. Everybody's waiting for your answer. He didn't wait, so it doesn't work. Um... Eh, just those little things bother me. But otherwise, it was still good, and he did a good job. Uh, Lenny Marcus, it was so nice to have him back again. I forget always how much I enjoy just having him around. And he did a really good job. This time, he was much better. As time, you know, it's funny. It's too bad it's over. Everybody was finally getting their characters down. Um, he did a really good job this time. Greg Rogel was great as Fredo. He did a really good job. I think he's actually seen the film. Thank God. <laughs> you know, he did a really good job. Uh, also, my friend Lee Maracas, who's been on this podcast, he had a little part where he plays my manager. When we do the history of the world, uh, I do. I This is how I opened uh, for Mo Green. I just got back from Venice, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Let me tell you about Venice. Venice is a very old city. Very old. Very wonderful city. Ancient city. You can learn a lot in Venice. You want to know how to make a Venetian blind? Like this. Oh, <laughs> Have you all heard about this new sect, the Christians? They are a laugh riot. First of all, they are so poor. How poor are Thank you. They are so poor that they have only one God. <laughs> well, we Romans are rich. We got a lot of gods. We got a God for everything. The only thing we don't have a God for is premature ejaculation. But I hear that that's coming quickly. <laughs> oh, the little fag gets it. <laughs> Hey, let's face it, let's face it. What's the rage today? Losing weight is all the rage. Everybody in Rome is either in a steam room or a vomitarium. I mean, half of Rome is either cooking or puking. <laughs> cooking! Oh, puking! <laughs> but you can't blame these people. You can't blame these people for wanting to be thin. Who wants to look like a big fat pig? This is so exciting. Yes, he did, sire. Uh, that's what we did. So I go, uh, so I'm killing. I'm doing all these jokes. And then I'm like, and as Mo Green, and everybody's laughing. And then I go like, hey, do you know why Italian men wear mustaches? So they look like their mothers. <laughs> and then the narrator says, a hush falls over the room. And then my friend Lee is in the audience as my manager. And he goes, get off mom jokes. Get off mom jokes. And then uh, and then I, I do the thing. Did he say mother? He said, I believe he did, Michael. And then I do this exact desire. bit. Get off the fat jokes! Get off fat! Get off fat! No, no, no. Uh, the two Jews got off. No, uh, Syrian. Uh, uh, politics, 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 politics. Yes, the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate is the best legislature that money can buy. Corruption starts in the streets with the little peddlers. They bribe an assemblyman. The assemblyman bribes a councilman. The councilman bribes a senator. And the senator, it goes all the way up to the emperor. Oh. Shit. 
Yeah, I did that exact thing. I go, and it goes all the way up to the Don. Shit. Uh, and then we start the uh, the regular stuff. I, I think that worked well. I can't remember because I was just, uh, you know, doing it. We had the uh, butta booms and everything. So I think the audience loved it. Um, I don't know. Kind of excited to hear that part back myself. But, um, oh, and then I even did, uh, oh, wait, let me continue that. I even, I did this line. When you die at the palace, you really die at the palace. Yep, I did it all. All history of the world stuff. And believe me, there was so much more I wanted to do. That was nothing. I wanted to, I don't, I don't know why, but I always like, uh, I, it's not even funny, but I love I, the fact that B. Arthur's in it uh, just makes me laugh. Random adventure. Did you try to kill last week? Yeah. Wait, I'm going to go to the... Next. Occupation. Stand-up philosopher. What? I always like when he... His voice is so funny. <laughs> Stand-up philosopher. Like, he can't get it right. I always say that. Stand-up philosopher. I coalesce the vapor of human experience into a viable and logical comprehension. Oh, a bullshit artist. <clears throat> Did you bullshit last week? No. Did you try to bullshit last week? Yes. Comicus! 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 Back in the line. Back. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, History of the War Part 1. And that's what I... So that... You know how, like, last time we did it, The Godfather, it, it was like everything from Easy Money. <laughs> this time, for some reason, it was all History of the World Part 1. And um, I don't know. What are you going to do? I know there's people that get it. I know there's people that like it. And then there's everyone else. We also had an accordion player this time for, you know, so you could do for he's a jolly good fellow, Susan Wang. I dated her sister many years ago, and she plays the accordion, but couldn't keep up with the big boys. So it was a little lackluster because it was supposed to be much more entertaining, much more quicker. Um, she couldn't keep up with Noam and Colin because those guys are ridiculous. And it definitely needed to be faster, so that didn't work as well. But uh, it was nice to have her on board and in addition to the band because I think we're going to have to get a couple more instruments when we do Grease, maybe. Maybe we'll get a piano. I don't know. We'll see. Moving on, though, I saw Dear Evan Hansen two weeks ago. I didn't get to tell you. No, no, I saw it the day after the last podcast. And first of all, let me tell you about Dear Evan Hansen. I told you I was going to go see it, and I was looking forward to seeing it. It's amazing. It's really good. I can't tell you anything else. I don't think any of you guys listening are going to see it, but I can't take the risk. So I can't tell you what I did or didn't like. Maybe a year from now or something, I'll tell you. Or I don't know. Maybe I should tell you now. I don't think anybody cares, but... Oh, fuck it. I'll just say my opinion. I'm not telling you the premise or anything. But Act 1 was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in my life. 
It was this kid, Ben Platt, was just as good as advertised. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself of that tattooed up guy, straight guy, that's the Soul Cycle instructor's boyfriend. And when he was in our class and he goes, that motherfucker, he's pointing at that motherfucker, he's a fuck. Like, I thought he was going to make fun of him being a fag or something, you know? And he was like, that guy's an unbelievable fucking actor. Like, like I never thought he was going that direction. But when you see this performance by this kid, you get it. You get his passion in why he's saying this. It's amazing. This guy, Ben Platt, he's definitely going to win. It's a joke. The whole time I'm very good. They had a post article like the races between him and that idiot from Groundhog Day. Now this guy Andy Carl was very good. He's good enough, but this, it's, there's no contest. This kid is it's a once in a lifetime performance. He'll never be this good again in anything. This is that thing that he just gets lucky and he gets to do this, and it takes a toll, man. They just had an article in the Times today about how he does this eight days a week. He's amazing. So I'm sitting there, and I go to this girl that I took, and I say, well, the only way they can mess this up is if they fuck up act two, which is what happened. And they didn't mess it up. It just fizzles. Act one was a miracle. If act two had been the way you wanted it to be, uh, then I probably wouldn't have got the split decisions on whether people liked it or not because the first part is so smart the premise, the the twists uh, are so smart. And then the second half is just like, oh, this is what usually happens, whatever. But this, it, the, it, the whole thing's about this kid, and he was amazing. And when he's not on stage, the show suffers. I'm sure they're all good actors, but they don't even compare to this performance by this kid. So it was amazing. Now, I remember I was telling you I wanted to take a date, and I told you what happened with that girl that I asked out, and then I found out she had a boyfriend. She gave me the text just before Sarah. By the way, she came to the show last night. I worked it all out. It was amazing. She had every bit of information wrong. She did not know that I uninvited her. So she goes, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it Thursday. First of all, she thought we were seeing Hamilton. Secondly, she thought it was two Thursdays ago. And thirdly, she thought she was still invited. So it was perfect because I'm like, oh, no, you can't make it. You should come to my show. So we're all good. And I asked her to play Sandy in Greece because she's a, a, a Broadway musical star, cute as a button, and she sings. So that would be an amazing get, like a Broadway actress playing Sandy. The only part that's wrong for her is if I play Danny because it's going to be way creepy. But uh, who cares? Because uh, I think Mateo's taking my Rizzo role. Damn it. Damn it. Because he was so excited when I told him he'd be playing Rizzo. And I'm like, but I want to play Rizzo. Um, so anyway, I asked this girl out. And I remember I went out with her the Thursday before as a little test. And I'm like, well, you know, if it's a date, then we can go out. And then I'll take you to Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, it's kind of like blackmail. But, you know, we kissed a little the week before. So I'm like, all right, I'll take her. And uh, so we went, and we had a very good time. She's a good theater companion. And then we went out for dinner to Joe Allen's, where you go after the show. And then we went to get drinks. Oh, damn it, I don't have that clip. Um, When I got to work the next day, the next day, first of all, 
She never sent a text saying thank you. She never paid for anything. She never offered to pay for anything, and that's problematic. Just offer. I wasn't going to let her pay for anything, but you got to offer. And you got to pick up the drinks after you buy dinner. And her friend was working at the bar, and he hooked us up, and it was only 15 bucks. That's not cool. That's not cool. But, of course, it reminds me of the risky business thing. I can't believe I didn't have the clip ready. Um, so you took her, to the, you went to the movies three times with her. He's, yeah, how much is that? I don't know, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. And he's like, and then uh, 30 bucks. And then he took a couple of dinners. Right. Like, and then um, parking. Park on the street. Gas. Another five bucks. So you're looking at an odd 60 bucks. And what'd you get? She slept with Jacobson. And then his best friend's laughing. That's the way I feel. Now, I don't think she slept with anybody else, but I might as well feel like my friend Caitlin at work was saying, listen to this. Listen to this, guys. Girls, even. Listen to this, please. I bought her dinner a week ago, which was about 180 bucks. Then we bought drinks for $50. Thursday night, the tickets are $180 a piece. Then I bought her dinner, which was $200. And then I bought drinks for another 20, 35, because I think I had a 20 on a tip because she was friends with the guy. And then I gave her money for a cab home. I totally forgot about that. Whoa. I have spent almost $1,000 on this girl. Caitlin pointed it out to me. I felt like an idiot. And what I get? She slept with Jacobson. Let's just say that it doesn't matter what I get. Uh, we're having a good time. I don't like to think about it that way. I'm being a gentleman. But number one, you have to offer. Hey, can I pay some of this? Uh, maybe not for dinner. It doesn't matter. I, I said it was a date, whatever. But offer to pay for the drinks after. Offer to pay for that. Uh, don't take my money for a cab home. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Just or offer, offer something. I'm not gonna make you pay, but you gotta offer. And then it gets worse. Yesterday she goes, "Hey, my friend, that I want to come see your show." Can you get us tickets? So she won't even buy tickets to the show. Okay, whatever I said. My sister was like, fuck her. And I'm like, I don't want any trouble today. I'm just going to put her on the list. And I hate putting people on the list. It's really, uh, you know, it's, it's only 10 bucks. It's annoying, right? So, I mean, I'll put, you know, like uh, my manager had people on the list. She was taken from ESPN. I'm, I'm going to put those other people on the list. You know, that's what people want to save it for. 10 goddamn bucks. Um, so then she comes out with us after me and John Vitti, our friend Smitty from the Boston Globe, and Vanessa. And the, her and her friend come out with us after. We have a couple of drinks. They both have two drinks apiece. And then they leave without leaving a penny. They leave without leaving. As soon as I saw them leaving, I looked on the table to see if there was any money on there whatsoever. They just left. I mean, they say goodbye. They just left. They didn't even say, hey, do we owe you anything? Do you want some money? Wow. And then when she was saying goodbye, she kept kissing me. We were like kissing long a little bit, but it was, but you could feel it was all like a plan or whatever. 
Man, that ain't cool. That that is so not cool. You have to offer. Or you gotta just at least say, I mean, if she doesn't have any money, that's okay, but you you can't just walk out like that and not pay anything. That's not cool. That makes her an asshole. It really pisses me off because she's really pretty. We were getting along very well, but that's unacceptable, right? I'm not crazy. I'm not just being a regular dude. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being a regular dude, but I'm just saying I'm not being sexist. Girls, you're with me on this. You have to offer. I'm not asking her to pay. You just got to say, can we leave you? I think I would have said, no, no, please, please. It's my pleasure. It's, it's so not cool. Leave a tip for the waitress. That's what. That's how I met her. She was a waitress. How could she not know that? That was, uh, so I'm saying that's three weeks I've been with her where she hasn't even tried to pay anything. And that's uh, very disappointing. Very disappointing. It's, uh, it's even, I don't even like to tell people because people are shocked. Because it's not cool. And then, you know, at the table, we're like, those girls suck. Let alone she bought this girl. She's a hairdresser. I don't know who would go to her to get her hair looks so horrible. I don't know who would go to her to get their hair done. Her hair hair is horrible. She's a nice girl and everything, but it's just like, what? That's what you do? It's very odd. Very odd. Whole thing. I didn't want them to hang out. They came and then they were hanging out. It's like I'm getting scammed, you know, but really makes me angry that, uh, like, I'm on to her, so I don't feel like I'm getting scammed, but I guess I am getting scammed because I'm just doing it. But, you know, what am I, I, I didn't know they, I thought, everybody else went home. They had to stay. Those were the last two girls I wanted to hang out with. I just want to hang out with my boys from Boston. It was so nice. They take the train down and go back that night. They love it. They get beer. They get pizza. Every, you know, they hang around. Then they go to the show. Then they're back, and then they go to work. They sleep on the train. They go to work. Just like me. It's way cool. I love when they come down. Uh, I asked this uh, girl out at the doggy daycare uh, center. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out with somebody uh, who's uh, maybe they'll be more. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's She works with dogs. How, how bad could she be? She's trying to she's trying to get me to adopt a dog. So I was like, well, maybe I'll think about it if you go out with me. I'm blackmailing all these girls and going out with me. It's horrible. But I am trying to be more proactive on going out on dates. Because why not? Oh, and this is the best story. You might remember, well, Thursday, a girl that I used to go out with, it was her birthday. And last October, she came to town. And I hadn't seen her in 20 years. Now, let me just, I wished her a happy birthday. Now, last Thursday night, I got a, I got a text from her saying, I can't believe you wanted to wish me a happy birthday since I ballooned. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, yeah, I ballooned. And I write back. I'm like, have you gained a lot of weight since I saw you last? And she goes, um, no, I'm but you mentioned it on your podcast. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like something I would say on my podcast. And then she sent me the clip of me saying those exact things. 
The podcast always comes back to haunt you. Yeah, she really gave it to me good. She sent me the thing. And she's like, and the worst thing is, your niece was on the podcast, and you were fat shaming all these women. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, just totally busted. She sent me the clip. She had had this waiting since October. You know, I deserved it. That's why she called me. And I was like, I, I, I was on the phone with Memo. We were working on the, the Godfather stuff. I'm like, I have to take this call or I'm going to look like a major asshole. I got to take my punishment. You put it out there with the podcast, you got to take your punishment. But it was hilarious. I'm like, I really don't think that's something I would say. And then, you know, the next button I clip something, it says something's downloading. I, say, I click it and it goes, and this girl ballooned. Ballooned, I tell you. Now her 12-year-old son wants to, he said he wanted to drop kick me. Because I'm an asshole. Well, what are you going to do? You know, you, you say things and uh, you got to take the, you got to take the, uh... you know, I saw Jay Okerson last night. He still will not accept my apology. My apology, Senator. He still will not accept it. What's the matter with that guy? It's weird. Although uh, I was very drunk, so maybe he didn't. I forgot. Penn State University, as you know, I hate that university. I wish they would. They had another fraternity death over the weekend. The kid was drinking. He fell down the stairs, and his fraternity brothers didn't call 911 in time. Drank a half a gallon of vodka, drinking challenge. I mean, that's what fraternity brothers do. Now, we know how fraternities are. I'm never going to say get fraternities off campus. Who gives a shit? I don't care. Let them drink. It's been going on for years. No one cares. There's always going to be one kid that's a douchebag that can't handle his liquor is going to die. That's what happens. It's college. You can't always be 100%. It's a tragedy, but he was so stupid he fell down the stairs and nobody called 911 because would you? Would you? No. You're always saying if we call 911, we're going to get in huge trouble. They just waited too long. You know you're going to do it. You know you're not going to. It's not going to be one of those stories where we're going to have to bury him alive. Uh, you know, it's not that, but I mean, this happened to me and my sister. We we're having a party at our house. She had some friend from plays in the park who was 15. She got hammered at our party. We were already like 26. She was 15, passed out on her lawn. We thought she was dead. We're like, what do we do? If we call the cops, we were feeding alcohol to an underage minor, not a purpose, but this is what happened. We're screwed. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? No matter who you are, no matter what era it is, it's the ultimate question. You're already wasted. You can't think clearly. What do you do? You know you got to call 911, but you're going to be in a heck of a lot of trouble if you do. Do you hope they're going to come out of it? That's what these guys were doing. He'll come out of it. He'll come out of it. He was comatose. No, he'll come out of it. So he was alive, you know, when they called 911, but it, you're, you're praying he's going to be okay. There's nothing, it's a, it's a tough situation. They're blaming these kids for murder. That's ridiculous. Everybody's in the same situation. Fuck Penn State University. It's a shithole. It's cursed. Just close it down. Close it down. Ugh. And don't blame the fraternity brothers. They're having a good time. This is what they do. Somebody, you know, if you can't handle your liquor, then get out of the fraternity. What do you want me to say? I, it's a tragedy, yes. 
But what are these other kids supposed to do? They didn't murder anybody. This kid fell down the stairs by himself. Why are they responsible? Penn State, you stink. Thank you. You know I hate Penn State. I just want to say a couple of other things. 60 Minutes was really good this week. They had uh, this guy who got deported. They called the deportation debate. This guy, Roberto Beristain, whatever his name is, he's an Indiana business owner who came to the U.S. illegally nearly 20 years ago and was deported to Mexico this spring. Uh, it's funny because I think he vote well, his wife and her friends voted for Trump because they thought we're going to get all the bad hombres out, the bad people, because he'd, he'd been issued a temporary work permit, uh, social security number, and a driver's license during the Obama administration. He was a longtime cook, and then he was an owner of this steak shed uh, in Indiana, which employs up to 20 people. It was actually getting people jobs. The whole time I'm saying to myself, I don't understand what the problem is. He is living here illegally. That's what's going to happen. If you have a wife and kids, you're living here illegally. What do you? Th- how do you think that's going to end? I, I, you're here illegally. When we watch The Godfather 2, we see how it's supposed to go. You come in, you go through Ellis Island, you, you, you know, you get your citizenship, and that, I mean, it was very easy back then. But why didn't this guy apply for citizenship? I, I don't, I, you know, you're, you're running on thin ice. You're still illegal. You, you, you got to do it right. Everybody gets, my friend Ron, who's French, who's lived here since he was a kid, but I guess maybe wasn't born here or... I, I thought he was. I mean, I've known him for years. He was, he was going to come to the Godfather, but it was the Rangers game six, and, and thank God for the loss. Um, he got deported because something happened with his paperwork, even though he's a complete citizen here. Uh, but maybe some, but his dad messed up some paperwork. Get the paperwork. You got a wife and kids. Why sacrifice that? By Why not get everything correctly documented? I don't know. I got to blame this guy. He, I know he, he wasn't in trouble with the law. There was no reason to report him. They're sending a message. They're like, look, we got to get, we got to make sure everybody's supposed to be here. There's a lot of people that need work. And there's a lot of people that, you know, you know how angry I get when British actors are taking American uh, acting jobs. That ain't cool. A lot of Canadian people come down here and work. I'm just saying. I mean, maybe the way Trump's going about it, it might not be good, but. You got to, I mean, it, is it, he's, he's here illegally. I'm not sure what they're all whining about. You know, I, it, it, you know, I don't know. I feel bad for his family, but I'm not sure how he thought it was going to end. Also, they had this amazing piece about this guy who was the last Nuremberg prosecutor. And, you know, he's 97 he was 27 when he was the prosecutor for the Nuremberg trials. He prosecuted 22 SS officers responsible for the deaths of 1 million people that never would have been brought to justice if not for this guy, Ben Ferenc. Uh They were all part of this. The officers were part of these units. So I, don't, I can't pronounce them. Uh, their job was to follow the German army as it invaded the Soviet Union in 1941 and kill communists, gypsies, and Jews 
preferably Jews. That was their job. You just like sweep them up and just kill them. And they showed a video. Now, the reason why he like they all said not guilty, but he was able to put them away. And certainly, as we've talked about in this podcast before, we couldn't get them all. You know, it's only, uh, you know, a, a fingernail of the people that should have been prosecuted. Uh, but, you know, there's a flip side to that. And it's, you know, it. he even says it. This guy who's 97 says, you know, it, it's hard. They, they said not guilty and everything because they were directed to, to kill without pity or remorse. They were trained for the purpose, directed to kill without pity or remorse. It's kind of like, it's like, uh, what's the... Uh, Oh, oh, the one with Rob Reiner directed uh, with Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise. A few good men. A few good men. These two guys got prosecuted because they didn't. They were following orders. And this guy, Private Santiago, got killed. They were following orders. And when is the point where you say, hey, these orders are fucked up? But if you're in the military, I don't know. So there's a flip side. They're saying, why are we being prosecuted? We did what we were doing to be patriots. I know it's fucked up. But once in a while, you do have to look at the other side of it, even though it's cruel and unbelievably unholy and evil (laughs) where this actually fits in. But they had a video uh, of the soldiers, you know, in this one town. They took film, a video. They took film the Nazis, making the Jews run to this hole that they had, run to it so they could do it quicker and shoot everybody in the head and they fall in and then cover them up. And they have the footage. You see it. It's messed up. And uh, even Leslie Stahl was like crying. Like you can't not. This is why I can't watch like uh, movies like that. I can't. That it's so difficult to watch that that actually happened in our parents' lifetimes. And I know it still happens now. But it was, you know, but it's not the numbers that it was then. And that's the way this guy uh, prosecuted them is because the Nazis were meticulous about their records. He found all the records. He found all the records. He's like, what are you talking about? This is your signature, right? And you said you killed... Uh, you know, 30,000 people today, then they just have, you know, J's, but what did he say? And, uh, I think it had been, I don't know. Oh, here it is. He says, um, we have licked it. This is, without calling a single witness, he entered into evidence the defendant's own reports of what they'd done, Exhibit 111, 111. In the last 10 weeks, we have liquidated around 55,000 Jews. Exhibit 179 from Kiev in 1941. The city's Jews were ordered to present themselves, about 34,000 reported, including women and children. After they had been made to give up their clothing and valuables, all of them were killed, which took several days. I mean, it's all like just written as it's completely business. It's unbelievable. And that's what doesn't happen in the other countries. The meticulousness, the records, uh, the, even the filming of it. And they, they, this guy... You know, even it didn't. He was, uh, you know, put away. But he even said he had the gall to claim they were doing it in self-defense. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But I don't know. You know, we never think about the other side. They're they're like, no, I'm being a patriotic. I mean, they're messed up, but they're being patriotic to their country. 
you wonder where you know are, would you be uh, man enough to stand up and say something is wrong here? I'm not that patriotic. I mean, today in this day and age, I think I think a lot of people are doing that now. Uh, but. Uh, you know, who knows what would happen back then if you're like, well, I don't have a good feeling about this. They'd probably just kill you. It's very confusing. But a fascinating story with this guy. You know, when you meet these Holocaust survivors or when you see them in the news or whatever, they are very happy. And they, I guess, I guess they do remember how things were. And it seems like they've all lived life to the fullest. They do have a, a certain lifestyle, kind of like that guy from... Um, Crimes and misdemeanors who does end up killing himself. They seem to truly be full of joy that they figured it out, that they got out of this horrible situation, even if they're, you know, they they watched their families die, which is just absolutely horrible. Well, sorry, we got uh, a little sidetracked there, but I wanted to talk about it because it was such a great piece. And this guy, you know, we always talk about that the Nazis just got, a, they got away with everything. They got away with everything. They prosecuted a couple of guys. Most of them went to Argentina Went down to South America, lived to be 100. Remember, they were perfect specimens, so they were very healthy and lived beautiful lives. Nobody was punished. A couple of couple of douchebags were punished. That's it. It's messed up. And I hate the fact that, you know, can't do anything about it. They're all 100. I don't know. Thank God for this guy. He was 27, and he was like, no, let's put him on the stand. Let's put him on the stand. Just like... uh. My old boss, Steve Shaw, wanted to do with David Bowie. My, my friend Lawrence told me he was anti-Semitic. I'll put him on the stand, Lawrence. I'll put him on the stand. Now that's a real man. I'll put him on the stand, Lawrence. <laughs> hey Did a lot of that last night. Super fun. Super fun times. Boy, what an interesting podcast. I just had a lot to say. I had a lot to say. Uh, you know, because last week was a bust. And uh, I think it was a good time. So here's the story for the coming weeks. Next week, say big goodbye. Next week, we will play The Godfather in its entirety. I'm going to do a little warm-up, and I'll say, uh, hello, this is Dave Jessica from the Dave Jessica Podcast. It's my favorite thing to do. And the week after, there will be a break because since I put them out on Thursdays usually, um, you know, I always say, I don't know. You know, we talk about this all the time. I don't know how or when people listen to podcasts. Um, Would they listen on Memorial Day weekend? Probably. But eh, you take a break, get fresh, and then come back full force June 1st. Be ready to kick some ass. So that is the story what? Where is my? Uh... Oh yeah, this is it. <laughs> Sorry, it was a little loud. But yeah, that's the end of the show. So yeah, so we got uh... now next Wednesday, May seventeenth. I'll be at the Big Fat Pussycat for the DC Betty Storytelling Show. And that should be fun. A uh, life in show business. I, I got to come up with a story for that. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. June tenth. Be opening for me and Russ Mani. Be opening for Artie Lang at the Borgata, Atlantic City. I think, I think June 11th, I'm going to see the weekend at the Prudential Center. I'm not sure. I don't know if that was the date or the fourth. I can't remember. On June 14th, the Big Brothers Big Sisters benefit show at the Gotham Comedy Club. 
which now has included as of Friday night, Tom Cotter, everybody. Tom Cotter, the professional. Tom Cotter, we got Tom Cotter, Sam Morell, Michelle Wolf, Rachel Feinstein, Greer Barnes, and a special appearance by Miss Emily McNamara, who you don't know yet, but you will. And that is June 14th. And of course, September 12th, Grease Live at the Village Underground. So that is the story for the future. And I'm sure I will have other things going on and other announcements. I'll tell you how my uh, ESPN trip was when we come back from our little break. I just hope everybody has a, uh, a lovely May and a lovely Memorial Day weekend. And uh, again, uh, apologize for last week's podcast. <laughs> apologize for this week's podcast. Sorry, we had to talk about Nazis, uh, girls uh, being, uh, you know, uh, not nice. Uh, but I think we had a few laughs, played some nice clips. And this one has to hold us over until June 1st, everybody. But thank you so much for loving the podcast and not loving last week's podcast and getting back on track. And we'll make it all right again. We'll see you next time in a couple of weeks. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time on the Dave Juskow Podcast. Coming at you. So long.